Let's turn to Psalm 100 this morning. You may think that the tenor of the, not the tenors, but the tenor of the anthem was solemn and the tenor of Psalm 100 is joyful and that's a dichotomy. Those things don't go together. We don't get the joy unless we get surely that he bore our griefs. Because he bore our griefs, and that was a terrible moment, and, a te- and, and, and everybody thought it was over, but yet there is this great joy in knowing that he has paid the price for us. Now, how it is that we are to live, that's how we work things out. So if you're able, let's stand, and I'll read Psalm 100 this morning. Heavenly Father, come upon us today. Send your Holy Spirit that our eyes would be open to your word that we would understand, that we would see, that it would fill our hearts and our minds, and that it would flow from all we say and all we do. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 100, a psalm for thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his sheep. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, you'll notice in the title of the psalm, it says, A Psalm for Thanksgiving. It is the only psalm out of all 150 that is explicitly identified in this way. Now, we know that there are other psalms that that talk about Thanksgiving, and Psalm 118 uses the word thanks more than any other psalm. It It goes on and on, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, His love endures forever. And we see how this this thanksgiving has permeated so much of what the church is about. And just just a couple examples of of the hymns. Uh, Isaac Watts, Before Jehovah's awful throne, ye nations bow with sacred joy. Know that the Lord is God alone. He can create and he can destroy. And one of the staples of reform worship that we've seen, uh, and it's known affectionately as this old hundredth, old hundredth. And Spurgeon said about this hymn, Nothing can be more sublime this side of heaven than the singing of this noble song by a vast congregation. Now that's pretty, pretty high mark to, to live up to. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Him serve with fear, his praise foretell. Come ye before him and rejoice. Now, this psalm is very simple, and we're only going to cover such a small portion of it today. And in reality, um, I mean, we'll have to come back to it at a later time because there is so much here. And you're, you're thinking, oh, is he really going to make us go like eight weeks in, this, in the three verses or something like that? Well, later down the road. Okay, you look forward to that later down the road. Today, we just get one little bit of it, but it is so rich. We can't even cover that one little bit today. So we'll, we'll probably address it again at a later date. This psalm is filled with seven imperatives. Seven imperatives. And an imperative is what? 
do this. It is a command. This is what you have to do as a believer. Shout. Serve. Come. Know. Enter. Give thanks. And praise. Those are the imperatives within this psalm. Shout. Serve. Come. Know. Enter. Give thanks. And praise. When we come back to this psalm and take each of those imperatives on their own, I mean, we'll just have a chance to, 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 to fill our hearts with those things. We'll, we'll shout. Well, we're Presbyterians, we don't shout, okay. Uh, so don't get too excited about that. Well, maybe, we'll look at it in a minute. We'll look at it in a minute, okay. Um, but the one we're going to focus on today, and not even cover in total, because there's just not enough time, is to know. If you know, you will be joyful. If you know, you will be joyful in the right way as well. Now think about this for a moment. Someone has been very generous to you, and they've given you a gift. It's a gift far beyond what you deserve or what you could pay back. And how do you thank that person? Well, you can't thank them in kind. I mean, we we receive a gift, and and, oh, man, now I'm obligated to give a, a, a gift, and I can't afford to give a gift of that quality. Well, that may not be what the person wants. You know, maybe a thank you note is sufficient because they just love to give. They love to be generous, okay? And just acknowledgement of that gift is, is what they need. Uh, you know, you don't go to somebody's house on an invitation without what in the South? You got to have a little gift. I mean, a little plant, uh, just a card, something to acknowledge that you've been invited in and, and it's, it's very gracious for you, of you to do that. Well, understand, this is the Lord, the God of all creation, the God of all power, the God of all glory, who is righteous beyond our understanding, who is completely holy in every sense of the entire world, and every sense of the entire word has given us this great gift, and he says, this is what I want you to do because of it. Shout for joy. Shout for joy. That's it? When was the last time you shouted for joy? And not, and it didn't involve a college football game, okay? When was the last time you were so excited about something that you just couldn't contain it, okay? Now, I understand, this is, uh, this is who we are. The Reformed faith is, as Presbyterians, are, we trace our history back through the Reformation. The Reformed faith is pretty much an informed faith. You cannot live in ignorance because the Reformed faith expects a lot out of you. We expect you to dig into the Word. We expect you to get into the deeper things. Sometimes even into the weeds of Scripture, we want each believer to understand as much as they possibly can about the Word. Now, so with that in mind, and then take into account we are Presbyterians, and we do everything what? Decent and in order, okay? So, I won't even say, what's our nickname? The Frozen Chosen, okay? At least we got the Chosen. That was good, okay? But the Presbyterians seem to attract more introverted people. Okay, now think about that. Introverts gather energy from being alone. We don't usually demonstrate too much on an exterior. Extroverts gather energy by being with a lot of other people. Now, introverts can go out and be with other people, but sooner or later, you know, we got to go crawl into our little cave, okay, and, and re-energize. Um, 
And, and, and some of us do that and we read and we just dig into things and we love that and that's how we, we, we get energy. But our personalities and our culture and our traditions cannot trump the word of God. Okay, I, this is going to be terrible. Shout joyfully to the Lord. Okay, that's what it says. That's what it says. And, and, and it doesn't mean that, that I can shout in here. My heart's just shouting for all it's worth, okay? That's not what it says. It's just shout joyfully to the Lord. Whew. Now, I could, at this very moment, we could all stand up, and we could sing, you know, the buses will wait, and we'll, we'll sing songs, and, and, and we'll, get, we'll get everybody going, and we'll start to clap, and we'll just, you know, we'll just be, be having a little hallelujah breakdown. Okay, and, and it'll be great. And all of a sudden I can say, oh, the music will stop and we'll just just keep clapping. And, and I would say, oh, let's just give a praise offering to the Lord. And everybody would clap louder. Has, has anybody been to a service like that? Has anybody seen that? Yeah. Okay. Now that's great, except that it's kind of scheduled. It's Sunday morning. We're in worship. That's what we do. We get excited about the Lord, right? And then, then we leave, we go to lunch and we take our nap and we go about the rest of life. Ugh. How about drive down 565 and listen to the radio and you've got Christian music on and you're just, you're just so excited and, and, and the Lord's filled you and you're just, and, and you, have you ever driven by somebody who's just singing their heart out, okay? Hopefully they're paying attention to driving too, but they're just so excited. Or maybe you were there and, and your devotions in the morning and you're reading something and you are just overcome with this sense of joy. And, and well, you don't want to wake anybody else in the house, so you're not shouting, but you're just, you just want to, okay? We really shouldn't have to schedule shouting for joy, okay? At, Randy's going to start talking about 11.05, so let's shout for joy at 11.10, okay? We, we, this just doesn't work, Okay? The Lord is good. How often is the Lord good? All the time. And especially today, especially right at this moment. In 10 minutes, we can say the same thing. The Lord is good all the time, especially right now at that moment. He's just good all the time. So what is our response to this? Shout joyfully to the Lord. That's what it says. That's what it says. Now, there is some portion of us, that portion... Some have a bigger portion of their brain devoted to Presbyterianism than, than others that, that says, well, that's just not decent and in order. That's just not the way that we do it. That's not the way I was raised. I'm just so uncomfortable demonstrating that. I'm just uncomfortable with that. Well, I think we have to decide, is that just because I'm uncomfortable? Or is that a learned behavior? Is that something maybe Satan has convinced us that that... Christian life is a bunch of do's and don'ts. And if we do the do's and don't do the don'ts, then we'll be right, okay? Or maybe we give the impression that the Christian life is just, it's a grim task that we have to get through so that we can get to heaven. And God doesn't want you to have fun. He doesn't want you to enjoy it. In fact, he wants you to stop eating chocolate and eat nothing but Brussels sprouts. Right? No, oh, gosh, who wants that? Okay, nobody wants that. 
I once heard of this, uh, this drama group, much like the Covenant Players, and they were over in Scotland. And they went to this Scottish church, a Scottish uh, Presbyterian, the equivalent of a Scottish Presbyterian. Uh, are there any other Scots? Okay, I don't know. Um, and, and they went there and they did their, their performance, and it was supposed to be very funny, okay? But nobody laughed. You know, they just sat there. There was nothing. And, and afterwards, they, they went kind of over in the other place. and They said, oh, I think we bombed. Maybe it was the, the change of culture and they didn't get it or, or whatever it was. But, but they just were kind of heartbroken about what went on. And afterwards, you know, they're milling around. And, and one guy listened to these two Scottish men talk. And, and the two, one guy said to the other, they were so funny, I almost had to laugh in church. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> almost had to laugh in church. Well, the real question for us today is, why are we to shout for joy? Why? Why are we to shout for joy? And it's all tied up in the one imperative today, which is to know. We shout for joy because once we know him from his word, once we know him in salvation, once we know him in his presence, once we know him in his character, once we know him in our humiliation, once we know him in our trials, we can do nothing else. Now, just think about that. You could say, yeah, yeah, I know salvation. I'm saved, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's good to me. I'm, I'm good with that. Um, yeah. Really? Let's think about that for a moment. What business do we have in his presence? He is the creator of all. Why should he care about us? Why should he care about every hair on my head? Why should he know every word before I say it? Why should that be important to me? Why is it that in my humiliation, in my sinfulness, he sends his son to give his life for me? This, should I be excited about that? Well, yeah, pretty excited. Praise God. Now understand, it's, part of this is, is my personality too. I, I mean, I was raised in a Presbyterian church up north, and we didn't hug you know, when I first came, to, when I first came south to Wilmington, uh, you know, they were huggers, and I can still remember going like this when they were, when they were hugging me. I was like, oh gosh, I need my space. And 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 it was pretty solemn. There were solid believers there, but there was no shouting for joy. Now I went, uh, I spent a couple years at a full gospel church. Now they shouted for joy, okay. And and I'm not sure what else went on, but damn it, they were shouting for joy. They were really having at it, okay. Is there some balance there? Is there some way that, that we can demonstrate the joys in our hearts and, and not be constrained by our traditions or our personalities even because the imperative of Scripture is know God and shout for joy. They are connected. If you know God, if you know His works, His salvation, you will shout for joy. When was the last time you shouted for joy? Hmm. I asked myself that question this morning and I was like, oh, I did not have a good answer. I did not have a good answer. If you're going to shout for joy, you have to know why. You have to know something about the God who has done these things in your life. You have to know why you even have the capacity to shout for joy. Or to sing, make a joyful noise, okay? Why should joy flow out of our hearts? We have to know these things. Now, it doesn't mean, well, I feel it. So, so now I'm joyful because I feel it. What happens when you don't feel it? Are you not joyful? Now, my contention is once you know and once your life is changed, you can never take my joy. 
because my joy rests in Christ and underlies everything that I do. Am I always shouting? Well, no, I'm not always shouting, but that joy is always there. When you know the Lord, who is the absolute God of all, that he is all-powerful, that he is the creator of all things. He is the shepherd who provides us pasture. He protects his sheep, that he is good, that his loving kindness endures forever, that he will keep his saving promises to those who are his. When you know these things, then you better feel them. And if you don't feel that joy in your heart, you better go back and see if you actually know these things. Are they fixed in your heart? Are they so a part of you that... that that there is no personality beyond those things. You cannot separate the things that the Lord has done in your life from who you are. Our worship and our praise of our Heavenly Father has to be intelligent. can't be willy-nilly. We just can't run around and do whatever we want. God gives us some guidelines on how we should do it. But we ought to know whom we worship. Acts 17, Paul is there at Mars Hill, and he's, he's talking to the Athenian uh, Greeks, and he says, you worship a God that you don't know, and I'm here to tell you who he is. Okay? And he gives them this, it's not a touchy-feely thing, it is an intellectual thing. This is the God that you think you're worshiping. Let me tell you about him. John Calvin opens his works, the Institutes of the Christian Religions, with a premise that the natural result of knowing God is knowing ourselves. Once you know our Heavenly Father, once you know His character, once you know His holiness, once you know His righteousness, you will know your own unholiness. You will know your own unrighteousness. You will know that you are creature and He is creator. Psalm 100 says that we need to know Him as our creator and as our redeemer. So let's look at these two items. Knowing God is our creator. Well, let's look at the negative. What happens if we don't think God is our creator? Okay? Now, this is a, uh, uh, a more scientific town, and there are plenty of people who have just pitched out creation as a whole. What happens if you pitch out creation as a whole? Okay? Now, now, there are mixtures of those who will hold the first couple chapters of Genesis with the, the world around us, and we see that, well, our, our eyes say that the world is four billion years old, and it came to uh, being by um, uh, this various means. We'll look at that in just, just a second. Uh, but what happens if you pitch out completely creation? You also pitch out who? God. I mean, it's like a snowball. You start to snowball at the top of the hill and it rolls and it collects speed and it collects more things. Because if God is lying to us about his work in creation, if that's not true, what else is not true in Scripture? Oh, well, God, I mean, come on. You just can't make something out of nothing. My goodness, if God can't make something out of nothing, can he possibly save me? Well, yeah, Rand, he can save you, but he can't do anything else like what he says he has done. Ooh. To rely upon completely, completely upon evolution is to discount the need for the very existence of God. If some matter is out there, and it's eternal, and that matter, eternal matter, happened to come across and run into another piece of eternal matter, both are innate, and somehow life came to be, and that life came to be, and over the course of some billions of years turns into you and I, then we are as good as it gets. My goodness, I must be God. I have no one else to thank but myself. I'm a self-made man who worships his creator. Ooh, very dangerous. 
we must understand that God is our creator. And if I understand him as my creator, I understand my humiliation before him. He is powerful, I am not. He is holy, I am not. He is righteous, I am not. He sustains my very life. He sustains my very breath. I am able to breathe. I am able to take the next breath because the Lord sustains me. Because he's sovereign. If he's not sovereign, he's not God. Let's understand that. Therefore, because he does all these things, what does Psalm 100 say? Shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout joyfully to the Lord. He's the one who's created me. Let's look at Redeemer. Now you have to understand that we have a need for a Redeemer. Turn over to John uh, chapter 10. The word says we are his people. We belong to him. We are the sheep of his pasture. Okay? We belong to him. He is the good shepherd. Jesus, we see here in this passage, talks a lot about being a shepherd. And if you've never read uh, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, you need to do that. It is fantastic. We're, shepherding is not part of our daily life, being a herder. Okay, We just personal plug we just got a new puppy okay you can see the scars on my arm I think he's mostly border collie and and all he wants to he wants to hurt you know we go out and play and he's he's keeping me in space like a certain space but that's that's as much as we've ever most of us ever see about herding and about sheep we might like lamb chops but uh, sheep not much okay when Jesus makes these illustrations about sheep Everybody in that culture understood exactly what he meant. He, they understood the shepherd lays down his life. He understood that they respond to his voice. I mean, we've looked at this before on several occasions. Let me read from John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Ooh, Really? Yes, that is the shepherd's job. If necessary, he will protect his sheep. He will give up his life for his sheep. Verse 15, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jeez, he had to say it twice. Must really be important. Let's go to verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because what? I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. They did not kill Christ. What did he do? He laid down his life. He gave up his life. Nobody takes it from him. It's not as if man could go to the Son of God and say, we're going to take your life. He says, no, I'm going to give my life. We have to understand this. Go to verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He's talking about those who belong to him, those who are his, those who the Father has chosen, said, I'm going to give these to you, my son. All you have to do is give your life for them. And and this is what we call the, the covenant of redemption. Before the creation of man, this was decided, that the Son would give his life for us. For us, the likes of us. Think about that. Which of us, which of we, anybody in this room is worthy of the death of the Son of God? The answer is easy. None of us. None of us. But we are redeemed through His saving work. So the Creator has some of His creation that the Son will redeem. 
So what Jesus does on the cross had its beginning before time in this covenant. He lays down his life for his sheep. He purchases them. Okay, in a sense, he lays down his life. It's as if the same word as if I take off my jacket and lay it aside. I lay my life aside, and, and it's played out in John chapter 13, which we won't look at this morning, where he goes and he lays his garments aside. And what does he do for his disciples at the Last Supper? He washes their feet, becomes a servant to them. Not only is he a servant there in that act of humility, but it's a precursor to what he's going to do on the cross. John Murray says, death was not his fate, it was his triumphal act. Never was Christ more victorious than on the cross. Let me add that never was Christ more beautiful than when he was on the cross. Never was Christ more beautiful than when men turned their faces away, when the weight of all our sin rested upon him. Never was he more beautiful when they cried out for his blood and he gave it. Philippians chapter 4. Let's turn over there. God has made us. God has redeemed us. Therefore, no one should be more thankful than us. What is it? The... Uh, the song, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, or uh, what the, uh, the kids sang here, um, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. The redeemed have such a great reason to sing this song. And we think, well, yeah, there are days where I just want to shout for joy, and then there are other days I'm not so sure. What does Paul say about this? Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. We're going to go verse to, back to verse 10. Now remember, this is, he loves these people. He's in prison writing this letter. Okay? And he loves these people, but the letter is so full of joy. Look at verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have, re, have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I, I'm, I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. That does not mean you can get up on the roof and jump off and do all things. It means I can do all things through God's strength that he wills me to do, that he lays out for me. If God deems that I should be blessed... In, in prosperity, we give praise to God. If God deems that I should struggle in poverty, we give praise to God because it pleases Him, because He is best glorified when my heart is completely devoted to Him. The praises of the redeemed cannot be limited, for our joy rests in the one who has given His life for us, the one who has saved us, who for all time holds us in the palm of His hand. Get your hymnal out and turn to 381. Sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Him serve with fear. His praise forth tell. Come ye before Him and rejoice. Old hundredth. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this one. Stand. <laughs> 